Rural Iowa Braces for Impact. What a week. Welcome to What a Week, where we break down the week's top stories. My name is Matt Sinovic. I'm the Executive Director of Progress Iowa. Uh, Lauren McElmeal, our Digital Director, is also with us today, but we have a um, special program for you. We hosted a virtual town hall about the impact of the coronavirus in rural Iowa. So we're going to hear from a number of great speakers um, and and take some audience and have some audience questions. This was broadcast live on Zoom and on Facebook this week on um, a Thursday evening. So uh, please enjoy this this virtual town hall and the new report that we released um, that rural Iowa is bracing for impact um, from the coronavirus. Thank you everyone for joining this virtual town hall tonight. My name is Matt Sinovic. I'm the executive director of Progress Iowa. We are an issue advocacy group um, with an online network of more than 75,000 across the state of Iowa and across the country. We are so excited um, and thrilled to have you participating tonight in this virtual town hall. We have a great lineup lineup of speakers, and we are going to be discussing the the state of healthcare in the in, in the state of Iowa, um, and specifically how it relates to how how rural Iowans are facing uh, the coronavirus. Um, we are going to be talking with former Lieutenant Governor Patty Judge, State Senator Pam Yoakum, and State Representative Timmy Brown Powers um, throughout the throughout the evening. Um, we'll be answering your questions, um, hearing your concerns, and then getting a lot of great information from these uh, current and former elected officials, all wonderful leaders who we are honored to have with us. Um, before we begin, I want to thank some of tonight's co-sponsors, the organizations that helped, um, helped put on this event and, and really pull it all together. Um, as, as I mentioned, uh, I'm the Executive Director of Progress Iowa. Um, and along with that, we work very closely with a national partner, Protect Our Care, um, working together on, on advocating for health care in the state. Um, in addition to that, we have Focus on, uh, Focus on Rural America, um, Iowa Voices, the Iowa Citizen Action Network, Lower Drug Prices, Now Iowa, and those are all, all terrific uh, partner organizations that are teaming up to put on tonight's event. And we could not do this without them. So I want to say thank you so much for everyone's work and time that went into making tonight's event a success. If you haven't yet, if you're watching on Facebook, please like this video. Please share it um, so, that, so that your friends and family can see this, can hear from our great speakers, and get this really important information. Um, in addition to tonight's virtual town hall, we're also going to be sharing a newly published research report um, about how rural Iowa is, is facing the coronavirus. That research report is called Bracing for Impact, Rural Iowa Faces the Coronavirus. It includes um, up-to-date information about, about how, rural, uh, how rural Iowa is, is being impacted by the coronavirus, kind of what we, what we should expect in the coming weeks and months, um, and then also it, it talks about our state's, frankly, slow and, and, and poor response um, to, this, uh, to this pandemic. And so it, 
it, it really dives into great detail about, um, about this disease and about how it's impacting rural Iowa. Um, so to get that report, um, please, please stay tuned. Um, we'll, we'll link to that in the comments near the end of the virtual town hall. We will also be sending it out via social media on our Facebook page and, and, and Twitter account. Um, so you can follow Progress Iowa both on Facebook and on Twitter to get that information along with a lot of other great information. And we will also share, um, share the links of our, of our partner organizations as well. Um, to give you to give you all a, a quick um, a quick update before we move on to our our, our wonderful panel of speakers, um, I want to just cover some of the the latest news in in how a coronavirus is playing out in the state of Iowa. Um, it has been um, it has been seemingly uh, um, an eternity since the first case uh, occurred in the state of Iowa, um, but really it was not that long ago. And on that same day. Um, the state of Minnesota had its, or, or that uh, around the same time, the state of Minnesota had its first case. And while our governor has been incredibly slow to, to respond and not issuing a stay-at-home order, Minnesota has taken uh, quick action. And right now, we have nearly 4,000 cases in the state of Iowa. And although we are less than, we, we are just over half the uh, population of the state of Minnesota, we far outpace them in the number of cases. So we can see a direct contrast with the the way that our state and our two states have responded. Um, and, and that has impacted our economies, that it has impacted our families. And, um, and one thing that, um, that we, we really wanna focus on is, is how this is, how, as, is how our response um, uh, has, has lacked, but also, how, but also how the Affordable Care Act and specifically the Medicaid program have, have helped us. So, um, there's a lot to cover tonight, um, and I want to want to turn it over to our speakers. Before I do, want to want to ask you all again to like and share this video if you're watching on Facebook. That helps us spread the word. If you have a question for one of our panelists throughout the night, um, one of our town hall participants, please mention it in the comments, and we will do our very best to get that um, to get that question to the to the correct speaker. Um, so. With that, uh, I am so honored to introduce our first speaker tonight. Um, she's the former Lieutenant Governor of the state of Iowa, has been a terrific leader in advocating for, uh, for, for working families across our state and, and our healthcare, um, and now is leading the group Focus on Rural America. So we're, we're really looking forward to having her perspective on tonight's event. Uh, so please welcome uh, former Lieutenant Governor Patty Judge. Lieutenant Governor Judge, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm really, uh Happy to be here with you tonight. I want to take just a few minutes uh, as we uh, begin this uh, discussion to talk a, a, a bit about an overview. You know, the, this uh, COVID-19 has really had such an impact. It's, it's in fact changed all of our lives. Uh, we are all in our homes more than we probably have been in years, and uh, maybe that's not all a bad thing. Uh, but uh, the rural communities uh, really have been neglected for a long, long time. And so when that happens, they become just uniquely vulnerable uh, to uh, this pandemic that we are uh, in the middle of now. Uh, we already had a weak uh, ag economy uh, that uh, is uh, a result of some very foolish uh, trade policies by the Trump administration including tariffs 
uh, on, uh, on agricultural products, uh, very short-sighted and very hurtful to the economy, weakening it before uh, we, we went into a shutdown. Uh, this pattern of this president is, is uh, uh, just not, uh, not helpful at all in any way to, to rural America. Uh, he is focused on big business, uh, on his urban friends, and, and unfortunately not us. And it, uh, if we cannot make some changes, um, it simply can result uh, in, uh, in the death of rural communities. Uh, uh, our federal leaders need to understand that um, mom and pop uh, businesses on Main Street, um, as well as our economic backbone of agriculture, uh, need help, and uh, we need it now. Uh, so whether you live in uh, rural Iowa, as I do, or you live in New York City, uh, we have to be part of this national response and recovery. Uh, you heard Matt say that. Uh, as of uh, today or yesterday, we have around 4,000 confirmed cases uh, of COVID-19 in the state of Iowa. We've had, as of yesterday, uh, 96 deaths, and uh, that's, that is serious. Uh, that, is, that is just tragic. Part of the, tra uh, you know, the tragic nature of that is that uh, people uh, are isolated and uh, they're not, uh, you know, they're not having the love and support of their families that we all need. Um, experts had predicted that uh, these COVID-19 uh, cases would peak uh, about now uh, at the end of April and, uh, and then life would start getting back to normal, but that does not appear right now to be true. And that peak is probably pushed back well into May at least. Uh, unfortunately, again, as Matt said, uh, rural communities are starting to see increasing rates as the rest of the country now uh, starts talking about how we're going to open things back up. We are really seeing, uh, seeing the, the epicenter of this disease here in Iowa. Uh, the days, several days ago, the Bronx had a rate of uh, 598 cases per 100,000 people. Um, now, Tama County uh, in Iowa had 14 cases two days ago, and that's, uh, uh, that's 81, almost 82 per 100,000 people. Um, so we are, we are really in the midst of it. And Louisa County uh, has been one of our hot spots with, uh, with a meatpacking plant located there. Um, number of cases in Louisa County has outpaced per 100,000 people has outpaced New York. And my friends, they do not have a hospital or a single physician uh, in Louisa County. So to understand that, um, that situation that we're in now, we really have to look at where we were before uh, March. Um, Rural hospitals were closing across the country. 166 of them have closed uh, in the last uh, few years. Uh, providers uh, across the country have been working uh, with in shortages. Uh, services, particularly services like obstetrics, uh, have been cut out of rural hospitals. No longer possible to uh, 
uh, have a, a deliver a baby and uh, very many, if any, of the uh, rural hospitals uh, in Iowa. And in fact, that is now spreading even to some of the larger hospitals like Marshalltown. Uh, so uh, uh, that's just one more uh, service that uh, we're losing. Uh, many hospitals, including the one here in my community of Albia, have uh, become critical access hospitals. Uh, there is uh, a reason that they did that. That's because that is uh, that becomes uh, uh, helpful with their funding. Uh, what they what that happens at that point is that they do end up uh, providing services like uh, not providing services like obstetrics uh, and and other specialty care uh, services. Uh, they do have an en enhanced emergency room, but if you have a, a, a disease uh, or an, an accident that requires uh, a time and advanced skill, then uh, you are going to be transported to another hospital. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's okay until you start thinking about something like this pandemic, which I don't think had ever been part of that, particularly part of that planning. Um, this disaster that we are in the middle of now really has um, the potential to, to have serious uh, negative effects on our communities, even beyond the healthcare system that we're talking about tonight. And I just want, I want to say uh, just a word or two about that um, because these rural economies are just being squeezed to death. Um, Biodiesel plant, biofuel plants, uh, 30 of them have been idled or closed. Uh, we're losing jobs. In 2019, John Deere laid off 468 workers. 340 of them were here in Iowa. Farm income continues to drop. We now have shutdowns of, of Tyson, which I'm sure Timmy will talk about uh, in a moment. Uh, but that is putting nearly 3,000 people out of work in Waterloo, Iowa. Nearly 100 ethanol plants have idled. Uh, their reduced production is hurting farmers. Uh, not only uh, is that, uh, you know, is that a negative to the agricultural community because of the lack of market for ethanol, but uh, the, the byproduct of ethanol production, the DDGs, the, the distillers grain, is... Uh, has been used by livestock fe uh, feeders across the state, and now they're going to have to scramble to figure out how they're going to feed their livestock. Um, restaurants, small business, uh, are firing uh, their helpers and, and trying to decide whether or not they open, whether they ever will think about that again. So uh, we have a lot of issues in front of us right now. This is a time that um, we've never seen, at least in my lifetime, and I think Pam and I have been around this uh, uh, whole political arena for about the same number of years, so uh, we both have seen a, a lot of things come and go, but nothing really like this. Um, you know, every rural community needs some basic cornerstones to stay afloat uh, and to attract and, and retain residents. Uh, and probably one of the key issues for a, a successful rural community is a strong hospital and a strong clinic and doctors and nurses. Um, and if we don't have that, uh, we are going, we're going to be in serious trouble, 
maintaining our economies. So as we work to uh, minimize the 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 uh, COVID-19 and rebound from the virus, we, we need to ensure that rural communities have the support and the resources that they need. And uh, uh, I think that's our mission to, uh, tonight to make certain that uh, those needs of our rural communities and our rural healthcare systems are addressed. So with that, Matt, I'll, I'll turn this back over to you and I'd be glad to take questions at appropriate time. Great, thank you so much, uh, Lieutenant Governor Judge. I'm so thrilled to have you with us tonight. Um, and if you are, and uh, for all of your leadership, um, if you're just joining us, uh, my name is Matt Sinovic. I'm the Executive Director of Progress Iowa. You're here uh, at a virtual town hall meeting about uh, coronavirus and its impact on rural Iowa. Um, we just heard from former Iowa Lieutenant Governor Patty Judge, who now leads Focus on Rural America. Uh, in, a, in, in a moment, we're going to hear from State Senator Pam Yoakum and then State Representative Timmy Brown Powers as well. Um, but at this time, if you're watching us on Facebook, I, I'd like you to like this video, share it, um, help us spread the word about, about how rural Iowa is, is being impacted by the coronavirus. Um, that really helps us share uh, this, um, this crucial information. Um, and as a reminder, at the end of this virtual town hall, you all will see the link in the comments um, for our new report that's entitled Bracing for Impact, Rural Iowa Faces the Coronavirus. So we're excited to release that. Um, before I turn it over to our next speaker, I do wanna ask you all as well, um, we're gonna post a link in the comments um, for people to share their personal story. We do this a lot with Progress Iowa where we encourage people to share their story about, about their personal situation and, and help um, tell that story in a way that they can that we can all advocate for change. It's so important and we're seeing that more and more every day as as these coronavirus cases continue to pile up. Um, we have a petition going right now um, asking the governor to issue a stay-at-home order and while um, we have not heard an official response from the governor herself, that we have had well over 3,000 people take action and and people have like um, uh, like Emily from Hudson, Iowa, wrote in that she's a nurse practitioner in an urgent care setting, and they're nearly out of PPE. Help us uh, and asking, pleading for help. Um, Ava from West Des Moines said that she cannot see her daughter who has cystic fibrosis because of her work staying open and her being exposed daily. Um, so urging the governor to take action. So please click on that link as well and share your personal story because we will then um, help uh, help help spread the word and use that online network of more than 75,000 progressives to help tell those stories and help advocate for change. It's, it's really important that you do that. Um, and I am now very, very honored to, to turn it over to, um, to a wonderful advocate for health, another wonderful advocate for healthcare, someone who has led the way in the legislature as, uh, um, and at a, um, perhaps a better time, uh, was president of the Iowa Senate, um, uh, mm -hmm. fighting for fighting for health care uh, expansion in our state um, for the Affordable Care Act and and for Medicaid expansion in our state. So um, it's now my honor to turn it over to uh, Iowa Senator Pam Yoakum from Dubuque. Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you to all of you for joining us tonight. And, and Lieutenant Governor, you did a great job of outlining a lot of the problems that we are experiencing in this in the state right now. Um, and I can't help but think that had this president 
not wasted six weeks in claiming this was nothing more than a hoax, a democratic hoax, a coup, whatever, uh, maybe things would not be quite as bad as they are right now. And I might mention that I was peak is not even supposed to be here till May 7th. So, so brace yourself because there's a lot more to come. To say that, that this is a challenging time would just be an understatement. But at the same time, you know, this has also tested our character as an individual. It's tested our character as a nation. And it's given us time to really kind of pause and reflect on what's really important in life. What's our duty to one another? And what can each of us do to form that more perfect union? First, I want to um, extend my really deep sympathy to the 96 families and their friends and neighbors who, um, who died from this COVID-19 virus. Um, although my own daughter did not pass from the virus, her death 18 months ago did leave a huge void in my own life. And uh, it's a void that will never be filled. I love that kiddo to my very core, and I think about her every single day. And I can tell you that grieving the loss of someone you love is not an easy journey. And I just want you to know I understand what you are going through. So to the 3,924 Iowans who are recovering or have recovered from the infection of COVID-19, Godspeed to you and your families. And I hope, I hope that not many more Iowans do get this, even though we have several more weeks to go. Um, the public health crisis that COVID-19 has certainly exposed a lot of the fault lines in our healthcare system, our economy, our childcare system, our food security system, the unemployment insurance system. And it's also showed us how important it is that we need in this nation and state to embrace paid family and medical leave. It's put a hot, it's put a definite spotlight on the weakness in our state and nation's social safety net. And that quite frankly is at, at a result of over a decade of, of underfunding public health and our essential services that keep us safe in our state and nation. It's also put a spotlight on the importance of our government. Government does matter. For too long, too many of us have bought into a notion and listened to that constant drumbeat from the, from the right-wing media, from radical right politicians, from some special interest groups, that the government, we the people, the government, somehow was the problem. And quite frankly, they set out to dismantle the very underpinnings of a very functional government to prove their point. Well, here we are. So if there is a silver lining in this crisis, it's going to be the opportunity to make some very long overdue changes in our healthcare system and in our economic system. Um, it's been way overdue to put the well-being of people over and our future generations over the excessive corporate profits and greed that seem to just be running rampant in, in this country in the last few years. Matt, you mentioned a little earlier that as president of the Senate, um, I was instrumental in getting the expansion of Medicaid in Iowa under the Affordable Care Act. And quite frankly, it's one of my proudest accomplishments as a state legislator. 
It happened in 2013. It provided affordable quality health care to more than 150,000 hardworking Iowans who never had health insurance before. And they didn't have it because their employer didn't offer it in the workplace and they did not earn enough money to buy it on their own. So to me, I looked at that as one of the first big steps in our journey to make health care a human right in our state at least. All the Democrats voted for it. It was Senate File 446 and all the Republicans in the Senate voted against it. The next day, it passed the Iowa House 80 to 17, bipartisan. Now the reason I bring that up is because Joni Ernst was a state senator in 2013, and Joni Ernst voted no. And the no vote that Joni Ernst passed denied tens of thousands of Iowans health insurance did nothing to address the billion dollars at that time of uncompensated care that was being provided by our hospitals in the state. The people who benefited a great deal when we, when we accepted the Affordable Care Act and expended Medicaid were people who lived in rural Iowa and our rural hospitals. The passage of Senate File 447, or 446, I'm sorry, made, made the state a healthier state and it actually stabilized us financially. I might add, you, you mentioned in your, um, in your opening statement about the new report on rural uh, America, rural Iowa. Um, what is interesting is that over the last 10 years, 106 hospitals have closed in our country. 77 of them were in states that failed to expand Medicaid. What I can proudly say, at least at this time, is that no Iowa hospital has had to close their doors yet. Now I want to say one more thing, and that is that unfortunately Joni Ernst did not stop her opposition to providing affordable quality health care at the doors of state government. She did, then took that opposition to the doors of the United States Senate and voted not once, not twice, not three times, four times to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And in 2018, Senator Ernst voted to cut funding for Medicaid by $1.3 trillion over the next 10 years. It just boggles the mind that Senator Ernst would vote against one out of five Iowans that live in the rural areas who depend on Medicaid for their health insurance. Now, it wasn't just that the Republicans tried to sabotage Iowa's Medicaid system by ending the Affordable Care Act in 2015, then Governor Branson and Lieutenant Governor Reynolds unilaterally privatized Iowa's Medicaid system. By doing that, they handed over the management of Iowa's Medicaid system to three out-of-state for-profit corporations. Now, I intimately knew what was going on because my daughter that I mentioned a little earlier, Sarah, she had uh, intellectual disabilities. So I knew firsthand that the struggles that many families were having making sure that their kiddos were getting the services they needed and what privatized Medicaid did to that very system and their ability to get those services. The promise, of course, was that this was going to save us money and it was going to uh, expand more services at the local level and everything was going to be just so much more perfect in the state of Iowa. Every one of those promises were broken. 
And the end result is, is that the taxpayers are paying more, we're getting less, our, our children and adults with disabilities are not getting the services they need anymore, our elders who are in need of nursing care, uh, many, of that, many of those nursing homes are not getting the reimbursement levels anymore that they need, and many of our local providers are really struggling to make ends meet as reimbursement rates have been reduced as a result of privatization. I want to give you just one more example of how privatization has impacted at least rural Iowa. 51% of all the births in this state are paid for by Medicaid. That in itself is pretty revealing, that 51% of all the births are paid for by Medicaid. 37 rural hospitals in the state have now closed their labor and delivery units. Patty mentioned a little, a little earlier some of the problems that the hospitals are facing. So now in the midst of all this public health crisis, 96 Iowans have died in the last month from the virus. The first death, by the way, was in Dubuque on March 23rd, one month ago from today, was our first death in this state, and it was here. Hopefully it is going to be the only death in my community. But the mean-spiritedness of, of just dumping on people who are already struggling to make ends meet has not stopped with efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act or even privatizing Medicaid. Earlier this year in the state Senate, uh, they brought out of the Labor and Business Relations Committee a bill that was modeled on the Trump administration's so-called Medicaid reform. And basically what it would do is make it much more difficult for families who are already struggling to get food and to get health care. And they said that this was the solution to Iowa's workforce shortage. Um, quite frankly, all the bill does is put in place new burdensome red tape reporting requirements for people. And it's coming from a party who has said that they're all for getting rid of red tape and regulation, but I guess that's only when it applies to corporate America, not to just common ordinary folk who are trying to, to do their best. So let me just finish by saying this. I, I have heard more than once that this is no different than the flu. Well, yes it is. The flu season lasts about six months, and I'm sure Timmy will, can even expand on this a little more. But it lasts about six months. It starts in October, ends around April 1st, or around this time of the year. And we have extensive and reliable testing for the flu. We have a flu vaccine. I can tell you the number of Iowans who had the flu this last season was 1,920. In one month, we've had 3,924 Iowans who've been infected with the COVID virus, and 96 of them have died in the last month. No, this is not like the flu. More than ever, we need a responsible, functional government. Government matters. Elections matter. Elections have consequences. So it's time we make a little lemonade out of the COVID-19 lemons. So let's do it together. And thank you so much for joining us tonight. Can't hear you. Senator Yoakum, thank you so much. I was on mute. Uh, thank you so much for your remarks tonight, for your just passionate leadership and advocacy, um, for, for sharing you know, your family's experience. And, and um, I, 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 I hope that folks take that um, example and, and just help 
advocate for their own for their own families and and we need people to uh, step up all across the state right now um, and and thank you for just thank you for everything you're doing we, I really appreciate it um, um, for those of you that are just um, uh, just joining uh, just joining us or have joined us in the last few minutes uh, my name is Matt Sinovic I'm the executive director of Progress Iowa along with Protect Our Care, um, Iowa Citizen Action Network, Focus on Rural America, Iowa Voices, and the Lower Drug Prices Now Iowa Coalition. We are hosting this virtual town hall about the impact of coronavirus in rural Iowa. I would really encourage you to like this video and share it on Facebook um, because that helps us get the word out to so many more Iowans and so many more people about this terrible disease and the need to have a, a much stronger response than we're having. Um, unfortunately, our state and our federal government have been incredibly slow to respond, which has caused um, Iowa's cases to spike. And nowhere has that been more the case, it seems like, uh, on a daily basis than in Black Hawk County. Um, there has, it has been um, one outbreak after another. Uh, we saw just yesterday the uh, Tyson plant close, um, which um, I believe I saw um, uh, uh, creates an, an estimated 4% of the nation's pork. Um, and, and so we are, um, it, it's just a, 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 a perfect, uh, an unfortunate, but perfect time to have our next speaker joining us, um, uh, on this virtual town hall. And that is representative, uh, Timmy Brown powers. Um, uh, so representative Brown powers, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me and thanks everybody for joining us on Facebook. Um, I am so sick of doing this though. I wish I could see all of you and <laughs> hug you, um, but I can't and it'll be a while before we can. Um, so I'll start with Tyson. Um, I want to just give you guys just kind of a, a look at what's happened here. Uh, 10 days ago, we had 62 COVID cases in Blackhawk County. Today we have 622. So that has increased a lot. Um, we had no deaths. We had um, we have seven now deaths. We have seven families who have lost a loved one at this point um, today, and I'm sure that number will go up tomorrow. And I know that um, 622 will probably be close to 700 tomorrow. So um, as Patty mentioned, we have 2,700 employees. Um, that work for Tyson's and those families have family members who work across Black Hawk County. Um, some of our Tyson workers are rural folks that, that come into Waterloo to work. Uh, some of our folks come from Lynn County uh, to work. So, so the Tyson plan itself um, really um, spreads out wide and far from, from Black Hawk County. So it's not just in Black Hawk County. We are um, sharing the COVID-19 with all of our neighbors um, here. And also, as Patty mentioned, uh, we have now affected all of our pork farmers um, and what's going on for those farmers in the rural areas. So this could have been avoided. We have been asking um, for two weeks <clears throat> to slow production down, shut down, test their employees, take care of the workers. Um, we did, uh, we have a great team in Black County, I have to say, and so between the, the city council, the county supervisors, our management team, all of our state uh, legislators and the mayor, we put letters and we made calls, um, but we did not get listened to until yesterday. And to be really honest, the reason that we got listened to yesterday was probably because they're running out of employees. Um, we, um, 
in my spare time when I'm not legislating, I'm also working for Mercy One. Um, right now I'm working in the COVID clinic. So I am in the clinic. Uh, we're doing 12 hour days. We're doing it eight, seven days a week. And we are seeing a, about 100 people a day just in that one site. Um, and to reinforce what we're seeing in rural area, uh, we are seeing people from Blackhawk County, but we are seeing people from all the counties around us. Because as we have talked about, uh, our rural folks don't have anywhere to go to get tested. And so uh, they have to drive somewhere that, that ha is doing the testing. Um, so we have seen people from Grundy. We have seen people from Independence. We have seen people from Tupola. We have seen, I mean, all over. We have seen people from all over Northeast Iowa coming here to get tested. Um, and it has had a huge impact. These people are coming, and first of all, they don't feel good, and second of all, they are scared to death because, like Pam said, this is not the flu. This is not just the old flu. This consumes your body, and it is wiping people out. Um, so this, and it's and it is spreading at such a high rate that um, is just uncontrollable right now here. So this is a really hot spot, um, and we are. Now that Tyson's has decided to close down, um, we need to work at the here and now. So we need to start taking care of our communities, taking care of our families, um, and get people healthy again. Um, I hope at this point it does really push all the meat producers across the state and other states to be um, more uh, re responsible for their workers, treating their workers with dignity, treating their workers with respect. And I hope that we are seeing um, some accountability within these factories. We know that there wasn't much transparency. What they said and what we did were seemed to be two different things. And what, when we opened up at the, up at the COVID clinic, um, employees were sharing a lot of stories with us. And, um, and, and really heartfelt stories that concern, concerned us. So, it is, it is a hot spot here, and um, so stay home. Don't come visit me uh, because it's not not a safe place right now. Uh, but we are gonna we're gonna move on from this, and we're gonna take care of the people and uh, take care of these families, and that's our number one thing. And then to open up Tyson's again because we need to do that for our farmers. Our farmers need us to do that. Um, we know that. Um, we know that they feed Iowa, and we ne it should never have gone this far. We could have, we asked for action weeks ago. And had we taken the action, then we would not be where we're at now. And our number would not be at 622. So this summer I traveled rural Iowa and um, I did that because of Medicaid, because Pam and I and several down at the state house were really struggling with Medicaid reimbursement. And um, our providers weren't getting paid and our patients were getting taken care of. And so I spent a lot of time because I said, we're not listening to what's happening in rural Iowa. And here in urban Iowa, um, I can tell you front and back what's happening. So I went out and I, I did some town halls across rural Iowa just to hear what was happening. Um, and as Pam said, we haven't closed any hospitals, but we have cut programs um, twofold in rural, in rural hospitals. We, are, we, we, have a, we have a public health department in southern Iowa who refuses to see Medicaid patients because they weren't getting paid public health department. So so that so imagine what's happening now down there with this COVID uh, virus down there and those people who have no one 
to help or take care of them. So we know that rural Iowa is hurting. We have heard over and over and over again that they need help, they need staff, they need extra administrative staff just to fight the MCOs, um, and, and they would really like to build their programs back up. They would really like to have some accessibility to healthcare. The one thing, another silver lining that maybe will come from this is that telehealth. So we've been kind of, we've been working baby steps to get there. Um, this has caused us, forced us to move forward on this more quickly. So I hope that the moves that we've made forward for rural Iowa's will help. And I hope at this point we can keep that and expand on that. Um, I also do a lot of work with the mental health bill and the child mental health. Uh, that is a, also in rural Iowa, a huge neglect, huge neglect. I have visited with county supervisors who told me they didn't have mental health issues in their county. Um, we know they do. And, and now with this, this COVID, we know that mental health is on a rise again. My concern is what's happening out there in rural Iowa, we just don't know. Um, because there's there's no one out there to reach out to those folks to help them. So we have a lot of work to do on that end as well. We, we are starting when ses during session trying to expand that. Um, I hope that the telehealth will help that, but I think it'll be until next, next uh, session before we actually get anything real for those folks, tangible for those folks. Same with the child mental health program. Um, but it, it, I mean, it's just, it's a concern and a worry for me that if you don't know to call Pam or Patty or Timmy that to get you to help, then you're out there all by yourself. And I think that we have a lot of Iowans out there all by themselves because they don't, they don't know that they can call us that we will help. Now, should they have to call us? No, the help should be there for these folks, but it, it, it's not. It's simply not there. The Medicaid program has been on the backs of persons with disabilities, and I have said since day one with Representative Heaton, um, you cannot make money off of persons with disabilities, nor should you. And so shame on Iowa for trying to, and shame on those MCOs. The only reason these folks are making money is because they're not paying the provider, and the patients that I personally take care of here in Blackhawk County, their services have been cut. So if I've got a rural public health department that won't even see Medicaid patients, we've got hospitals that have cut programs, labor centers, they're cut all the small outpatient physical therapy and occupational therapist services are gone. I was in Dysert this summer, just neighbors with Pam, and there was a PA there. She's phenomenal, but you're, they're killing her. They're burning her out. She's got no help. And she's got, and she can't get reimbursed from the Medicaid. Um, and her mental health patients, she is running out of places to, she's running out of energy and, and, and uh, places to send them. So we have so much work to do, folks, so much work. And um, we need to stop uh, turning, our, turning our head to that. We need to really, as a community, take care of the community. Uh, with this COVID-19, my focus has been um, I need to focus on what's here and now. So should we have, should we, would, should we? Yes. Could we have? Yes. Did we? No. So we're here now. So, so here we are. We have sick, sick people across Iowa. We've got to take care of them. We need to get them healthy. We need to stop losing them. 
And then we need to be more accountable and have more uh, accountability across Iowa and a lot more um, feedback. Listen, listen to our Iowans, listen to those folks working um, and, and hear them out. So I hope that my number here in Blackhawk County slows down a little bit, um, but I think that we probably have another 10 days before we see that happen. And um, so my job now is to just make sure that we're getting the test kits that they need and that those folks are getting health healthy again. So thank you so much for having us. Um, and I'd love to hear from everybody that's with us tonight. Great, thank you so much, Representative Brown Powers. Um, and if, um, if you've listened to our, our, our first three speakers and aren't fired up um, about, uh, about what's going on in our state, well, um, I, I think it's pretty hard not to be after um, hearing all this uh, passion and work that's going on. I wanna thank you for taking your time after doing 12 hour shifts. Um, um, I really do appreciate that, we, we all do, um, and everything that you're doing, um, doing there. Um, so if you're just joining us, uh, I, I, if you're just tuned in, my name is Matt Sinovic. I'm the Executive Director of Progress Iowa. We're hosting a virtual town hall about the coronavirus and its impact on rural Iowa. We've heard from former Iowa Lieutenant Governor Patty Judge, Senator Pam Yoakum, and we just heard from Representative Timmy Brown Powers. We do have one uh, final speaker this evening, um, and I'm going to turn it over to her in just a moment. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to like and share this video to help us spread the word. Leave a question in the Facebook comments if you're watching on Facebook. If you're watching on Zoom, you can comment in the chat box or in the Q&A, and, and we will do our best to get to as many questions as we can once our last speaker um, is done with her remarks. Um, so please ask a question, and we'll get it to the appropriate uh, uh, panelist. Um, but now uh, joining us, um, it, is, uh, is a doctor who has been very outspoken about the impact of coronavirus in our state. Um, if uh, you may have seen her on the news already or on social media where she has a, a great following and presence. Um, uh, so Dr. Rosanna Rosa, um, who is a infectious diseases specialist. Um, thank you, Dr. Rosa, for, for joining us this evening. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Um, I, 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 one thing that I would like to um, mention then today is um, just because I live here in Des Moines um, doesn't really mean that I don't, um, in, you know, get to to experience how. Did we lose Dr. Rosa? We did. Okay. I, okay. I, I was trying to unmute myself. So. Um, unfortunately, we lost Dr. Rosa. If we get her back, we will we will include her back in the uh, um, on the on the feed. So thank you all for being patient with us as we work through technical difficulties. Um, but for now, I think we can go ahead and and ask some of the the questions um, from from our audience. Um, we have a lot of people who are who are who are just very thankful for. Um, I'm reading through some of these now. They're very thankful for what. Um, for, for you all, for your all's participation tonight. Um, but I do want to ask a question here from Denise Rathman, who is with the National Association of so Social Workers, uh, Iowa. She's the executive director. She herself is a social worker, um, uh, saying that providers are exhausted by having to fight with the MCOs. And uh, here, and Representative Brown Powers, you, you or you all kind of mentioned issues with Medicaid in our state. 
uh, asking what can we do to change the the, the system. So um, if I don't know who wants to address that question, but it's open for any anyone who's willing to jump in. Go ahead, Timmy. <laughs> no, I said I just said you know um, Denise. I <laughs> we need to go. Um, we need to go back to the to the table. We know that this isn't working for people. We know that that you and and many healthcare providers are exhausted. Um, my folks that are working with um, the durable medical equipment companies have had it up to here. They can't get um, oxygen. They can't get wheelchairs. And um, and the, and the playbook keeps changing. Every week the playbook is a little different. So Pam and I and, and many of us are constantly, and I'm sure you are Pam, every week we have one or two providers that we're, we're going back, we're asking Carrie to look this up or these MCOs to look this up. Um, this is ridiculous. We were never this involved in your healthcare before until now. And now, um, it's because you have nowhere else to go. So call us and see if we can't kind of channel through that. Um, and mm -hmm. it, it's just a sad, it's just a sad state. Well, and we also have a lot of providers who just aren't taking Medicaid anymore because right. they're just so frustrated with it, which means that those who most need um, access to healthcare can't even get it because they can't find a doctor or a dentist to take Medicaid anymore because the reimbursement rate is so much lower. And it's such a pain in the back end to try and get paid. Um, a lot of them have had to hire additional personnel, et cetera, just to chase down their money and to file appeal after appeal. Um, I remember just a couple years ago, honest to God, I, my phone and my email blew up daily mm -hmm. on family members and providers who are calling with problems with, with Medicaid and privatization of Medicaid, I should say. I will say this, Denise, that more than once we have um, tried to, number one, we have tried to just repeal it and go back to a publicly managed system. And uh, we have also tried to do carve-outs, to carve out that the, um, the, the nursing home and disabilities community from underneath privatization and return at least that portion of it back to public management of the Medicaid system. I will say that that was one amendment I did file on, um, on, the, on the Human Service Budget Bill. It lost by one vote, one vote. So I'm gonna go back and say elections matter and elections have consequences. And I hope that this November, uh, the public gets is fed up and is saying enough is enough and we see some changes take place. But thanks for the question. Thank you for that. Um, I, I wanna go ahead and, and bring back in Dr. Rosanna Rosa. She's rejoined us on the, on the, uh, on the, on the Zoom conference here. Um, so Dr. Rosa, um, uh, uh, please go ahead and continue with your remarks. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, what I was um, trying to mention is uh, one way in which I see um, the impact um, of, of uh, you know, health shortages in our rural communities is that, you know, every day we we have people transfer to our facilities that are coming from um, smaller access hospitals that by the time that they are arriving um, to, to our hospitals, you know, they are just so desperately sick 
And it's, it's by no means because the doctors in the rural communities are not good or anything like that. It's because something like COVID moves so fast that, you know, it's, it, it one, one, you know, one hour you're talking to your wife and saying, I'm okay. And within a few hours you're intubated or on ECMO, which is one of the highest forms of support that you can, that you can, um, that you can need. So that is something that, that, that we see um, every day. Um, you know, one thing that, that I've, been, I've been starting to worry about, you know, some of these people, um, the ones that get really sick, they are in the hospital for weeks, you know? So it's not something that you uh, get over um, within a few days. So, so you wonder, you know, what are those bills going to look like for, for some of these people? You know, are, are, are they still going to, you know, what type of copays are end up getting and then you know for for the hospitals too the the type of 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 cutbacks that we've had to do in terms of personnel and in terms of of um the surgeries that we do are 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 having a tremendous impact so if if things are not done to help hospitals help clinics in the cities and in in rural uh areas you know the impact of this is going to be felt for years both at an individual level and at a community level. Dr. Rosa, thank you so much. Um, and um, thank you for, for offering your perspective, for working through technical difficulties tonight, for joining us in, or, or for, joining, for joining in with us here. Um, really uh, glad to have your perspective um, on, on tonight's town hall. Um, we, uh, we have time for, I, I think, just one more question. Um, there is one from uh, from from Julie, um, who for whoever would like to address it, and this is this is something that Progress Iowa has worked on, and I think can paint a, a bigger picture about the attacks on healthcare in the state and sort of the, the decimation of public services um, in our state. Um, and and this is open to anyone who may have seen this uh, at, at, in play in our state government. But the the question is actually, what role could ALEC or similar organizations like that be playing um, in the regulations or legislation in Iowa, um, and and the Julie who asked this question didn't ask this, but I'll, I'll add in like as it relates to um, to coronavirus or, or COVID nineteen, but uh, anything like ALEC or any of these groups that that work to undermine regulations. Have you seen that uh, happening um, in our state? Anyone who wants to jump in. The short answer is yes, <laughs> we have seen the American Legislative Exchange Council that is funded by the Koch brothers and their billionaire net donor network, um, intimately involved in the Iowa legislature. Um, we can go back just a few years ago and when the Republicans uh, got it, Iowa's collective bargaining laws, it was a model Alec bill. When they decided to uh, prohibit people from being able to sue if they've been exposed to asbestos and now have a mesothelioma. They, they passed a bill to make it more difficult for Iowans to be able to sue for that purpose. Uh, the, they have got a, a workers' comp laws, model Alec Bill. 
And of course, more recently, we have heard where Betsy DeVos, who is, of course, the Secretary of Education in, in the Trump administration, she's also part of that ALEC network for donors. Um, she's also been involved in this whole COVID-19 issue as well. So yes, ALEC is involved. And uh, like I said earlier in my, some of my comments, um, we have just been... <laughs> inundated with some of this stuff that for too long we have heard that drumbeat that somehow government does nothing right and it's the problem and so they went out to try and make sure that government did not work well by by underfunding all of these departments including public health and so here we are in need of a functional government and it's been a real struggle to put it all together now so thank you for a great question you got me. I would just <laughs> uh, two cents on this too. Uh, we have we have somehow believed that because we are in a, a rural state and because we like to live here, uh, that we are somehow exempt from some of the problems that we're seeing in the more metro areas. And nothing could be further from the truth. You know, I, I am just appalled when I heard tonight on the news, and maybe, Timmy, this isn't true, but I fear it is, that workers in that plant in Waterloo were offered bonuses if they would show up to work, whether they were sick or not. That is unconscious. Um, they were working without masks, without any protective uh, gear whatsoever shoulder to shoulder, uh, you know, they haven't got a chance. They haven't got a chance in those kind of conditions. And, and as you said, Pam, where's the government? You know, what, what's going on here? Where's, where is OSHA? Where, where are the people that are supposed to be trying to keep our workers safe in our plants? We depend on those plants. We depend on the workers. Uh, and, and we've let them down. And we continue to let them down. Uh, and I don't have a solution, but, but it, it does uh, make me uh, heart sick to think that we can't do any better than we have done to protect people that are working so hard for it, in jobs that most of us wouldn't want to do, not being paid enough to start with. You know, they're getting worked over at, uh, uh, on their pay, on their working conditions, and now they're getting sick and dying. And, uh, and we have got to do better. Our government has got to do better. And we, uh, those of us who live here in Iowa and call it home, have got to do a better job too. So thanks again, Matt, for, for having me uh, here tonight. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor Judge. Um, and I think with that, uh, I, I will want to be respectful of everyone's time this evening and, and keep it to about an hour here. Um, and I do want to end with uh, with some big thank yous for everyone who who joined tonight. Um, if you're if you're watching either on Zoom or on Facebook, we really thank you for participating. Um, as a reminder, this is has been a virtual town hall about rural health uh, about um, uh, how rural Iowa is. Is being faced with the with the coronavirus, um, we are working with uh, a number of terrific partners tonight. We are releasing a new research report called "Bracing for Impact: Rural Iowa Faces the Coronavirus." 
Um, that report will now be live. Um, we're going to post that in the comments of the Facebook video, and we'll also share it in the Zoom event. Um, and we'll send it out to all the participants who registered for that, uh, or for who registered on on the on the Zoom link as well. Um, but I, I want to again thank our um, our speakers: former Lieutenant Governor Patty Judge, Senator Pam Yoakum, Representative Timmy Brown Powers, and Dr. Rosanna Rosa. Um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Judge, you I mean you you hit the nail on the head, I think, with your last comments about where is. Where is OSHA? Where are you know where are our leaders when we need them the most? And and um, I don't I don't know that any of us have a one clear answer, but I can promise you this: that we uh, at Progress Iowa, at Protect Our with Protect Our Care, Iowa Voices, uh, focus on rural America. Your organization, Iowa Citizen Action Network, the Lower Drug Prices Now Iowa uh, Coalition, all the organizations that we work with tonight, we will all keep advocating for for our health care and encouraging people to speak out holding events like this and, and asking our elected officials to listen to uh, folks like yourselves, like medical experts, like Dr. Rosa, um, uh, healthcare workers like Representative Brown Powers and others who are on the front lines who are saying that we are not doing enough. Um, so I cannot thank you enough for all for being here and lending your voice to this effort tonight. Um, and again, for those of you watching, uh, watching online. So thank you all, please stay safe. Uh, stay healthy, uh, stay home if you can, and uh, yeah, look out for each other. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Potluck Media Network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. We are mixed and edited by Greg Hallenstein. For more information, visit potluck.fm or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. See you next week on What A Week.